Good morning and welcome. Glad each one of you all are here this morning. <clears throat> I'm going to continue this morning with uh, looking at the book of Jonah, as we have the last two times that I preach. Very brief review. It's a familiar story. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, Israel's most hated and feared enemy to their northeast. Jonah doesn't want to go. He's told to go 500 miles northeast, and Jonah goes west. He buys a ticket to go over 2,000 miles west with the stated intention of getting away from the presence of the Lord. As you know, that doesn't work too well since God is everywhere. God hurls a great storm on the sea, and the ship is at the point of breaking up. And the pagan sailors are urging Jonah to call on the God that he's running from. They're urging him. Here are people who don't know God telling God's prophet he should be calling on his God. Maybe he'll hear them. Jonah admits the storm is his fault, and he tells him to throw him overboard, and the storm will stop. Now, how Jonah knows that, I'm assuming that God communicated that to Jonah. He's spoken to Jonah, through Jonah before. How else would Jonah know that it would stop? So they do throw him overboard, and the storm stops immediately. The pagan sailors worship the all-powerful God who sent and stopped the storm while Jonah sinks beneath the waves. Children, what happens next? Okay, a whale or a great fish, as the Bible calls it, swallowed Jonah. You know, that's the first thing, if, if you say Jonah, that's probably the first thing you think about is the great fish that swallowed him. But you know, out of the 48 verses in Jonah, only two talk about the whale. Or I say whale. We don't know if it was a whale. The great fish, maybe it was a whale, maybe it wasn't. So where we stopped last time was at verse 16 of Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to pick up again the last verse of chapter 1. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God miraculously provided a fish, a great fish, at just the right time and at just the right place to swallow Jonah. God simultaneously disciplined his rebellious prophet and saved his life. Jonah experienced the mercy of God. It is on this verse that many people stumble into unbelief. I was amazed in studying for this. How many people believe, how many people say that the book of Jonah is an allegory? It didn't really happen. That it's a story made up to teach a lesson. There are people who are professing Christians who say the book of Jonah is an allegory. It didn't really happen. 
I want to say that Satan will do whatever he can to discredit God's word. In the late 1800s, Charles Darwin, in a letter to his son George, he divulged his role in a plot to overthrow the Genesis flood. I was reading an article on this this week in uh, Institute for Creation Research's magazine. Here's the quote from Charles Darwin. He was speaking of Charles Lyell as most firmly convinced that he has shaken the faith in the deluge and far more efficiently by never having said any word against the Bible than if he had acted otherwise. P.S. I have lately read Morley's Life of Voltaire, and he insists strongly that direct attacks on Christianity produce little permanent effect. Real good seems only to come from slow, silent side attacks. Saying that the book of Jonah is an allegory is simply Satan casting doubt on God's word in a silent, side attacked. <clears throat> I believe in every generation Satan will subtly cast doubt on God's word. Just like he did in the Garden of Eden. What did he say in the Garden of Eden? Did God really say? Is that really? He put a question there. Well, did he? And then you start to wonder what did God say? And you know what happened in the Garden of Eden? In Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40, Jesus recognized Jonah as a real person in history. And he said the people of Nineveh repented at Jonah's preaching. So if anyone wants to say the story of Jonah, the book of Jonah is an allegory, it didn't really happen they would have to argue with Jesus Christ. In, I read a lot, of, a lot of interesting things, some of which I read, shook my head, and tossed aside. Critics say that there is no fish in the Mediterranean Sea big in, with a throat big enough to swallow a man whole. This is simply not true. There are, in fact, a number of fish that swallow things larger than a man whole regularly. The late Henry Morris from Institute for Creation Research says that he, he, likes, he said he likes to speculate about what fish swallowed Jonah. And he will tell you up front, he doesn't know. But he thinks the most likely is a sperm whale. A sperm whale easily has a, a mouth large enough. I wish I could... Uh, wish I wasn't technologically challenged and I would have a, a picture for you on the screen this morning of a sperm whale with a diver beside it. <clears throat> Henry Morris also says it could easily have been a, a great white shark or a whale shark or grouper. There are a number of options of fish that swim in the Mediterranean Sea and in the Atlantic that could easily swallow a person. While it is intriguing to speculate about what kind of fish great fish swallow Jonah, it clearly is not important. Otherwise, God would have told us. So I don't think I need to waste time trying to figure out, well, what was it? Because I don't think we'll know. What's important is that I believe what God says. Critics also say that no man 
could stay alive in the belly of a, of a great fish for three days and three nights. Impossible, they say. I ask you, is it too difficult for the creator of all things to provide a great fish to swallow Jonah? Is it too difficult for God, who brought two of each kind of animal to Noah and seven of the clean animals, to prepare one great fish and have it in place to swallow Jonah at just the right time? I say it's not too difficult. Is it too difficult for the one who gave Jonah life inside his mother to keep him alive inside the great fish? Jeremiah chapter 32, verses 26 and 27 say, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Turn to Psalm 135, reading verses 5 through 8. <clears throat> I had to think of these verses in connection with those who doubt whether Jonah was a real person in history. Psalm 135, reading verses 5 to 7. For I know that the Lord is great, and our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does, in heaven and in earth, in the seas and in all deep places. He causes the vapors to ascend from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain. He brings the wind out of his treasuries. You see the sovereignty of God in these verses. His, he is sovereign over his creation. Creation does what God wants it to. You know, man is people, humans, are the only thing in God's creation. We have to choose. We can choose to go against our Creator, our Redeemer. But why would we? And yet Satan makes it look so tempting. And we do it. God had prepared a great fish to carry Jonah through the water back to dry land. And God spared the life of his rebellious prophet. God could have just ignored Jonah and said, fine, throw him in, let him sink, or send the great fish to swallow him and have him digested and left on the bottom of the sea. But God didn't. God had mercy on Jonah because Jonah had lots to learn. And God cared about Jonah. And God cared about the people of Nineveh, whom God knew were ready to repent. It's interesting. In, uh, in reading about this, they say there was Assyria experienced two plagues just a few years, in the couple years before Jonah came to them, there were two major plagues, and then there was a, a total eclipse of the sun. And commentators wonder, 
Obviously, we don't know, but we wonder if, if those things affected, how they affected the Assyrians. Maybe God used that to prepare them for Jonah's message, for his warning of impending judgment. So God provided a great fish to carry Jonah for Jonah's good, for the people of Nineveh, and it's also for a sign or a type of Jesus Christ in Matthew 12, 38 through 41. I'm going to turn there. Here Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees demand a sign of him. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees, starting in verse 38, answered saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. Jesus says Jonah was a sign of his own death, burial, his remaining in the earth for three days and three nights, and his resurrection. Over 700 years after Jonah, Jesus, our Savior, would come to earth as a baby, grow up experiencing what we experience, yet without sin. Though he is God, he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Like God prepared a great fish to carry Jonah through the water of God's judgment, so God provided a Savior, Jesus Christ, for all who will turn to him in faith. The only way, Jesus is the only way to escape God's judgment and sin. Acts 4 and verse 12 says, There is no salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. Turning back to Jonah, I'm going to go to chapter 2. I'm going to be reading all of chapter 2, which is only 10 verses, and I'm not going to look in detail at all of chapter 2. I'm going to look at part of that, and I'd like to go back uh, to that next time I preach and be looking at repentance next time. But I'm going to be looking at a few verses in chapter 2 today. Jonah chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my, when my soul fainted 
within me. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you, into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. You'll notice that verses 2 through 9 are written in the first person. I, me, my God. He speaks personally of the God he wanted to avoid earlier. In verse 4, he says, I have been cast out of your sight. Isn't that what Jodom wanted? Didn't he want, he said he wanted, to get away from God? It repeats it several times at the beginning of of chapter 1. He wanted to get away from the presence of the Lord. Sometimes... God allows me to experience what I thought I wanted just so I can see that it's not fulfilling. It's not what I really want. I've had that happen a number of times. On a note in verse 6, Jonah said he went down to the moorings of the mountains or the foundations of the mountains. If you notice, if you look back in, in uh, chapter 1 and verse 3, he says he rose to flee and he went down to Joppa. And he went to the ship and he went down into the ship. It says he went down to the belly of the ship and then he's thrown out. He goes down in the water. Now he's down in the belly of the fish. Down, down, down. Every time Jonah's going down. Whenever I am moving away from God, whenever I am in disobedience, it's a downward path, and it's a slippery downward path. It's dangerous. I wonder, thinking about what Jonah experienced, imagine with me a bit what Jonah experienced inside that fish. What was it like? How many of you have filleted fish before? Quite a few of you. I like the fish, so I I fillet fish. But if I think about what I find inside a fish, and I look at the fish's stomach, I I would have no desire to be in there, no matter how big it was. I imagine that it was dark. Well, it's dark beyond my imagination. Intense darkness. There's no light. It's slimy. It's smelly. Digestive juices are burning your skin as they work on you. You're probably being squeezed and mushed around. Jonah's in a real difficult situation. And imagine what Jonah experienced as the great fish went down deep. You know what happens when you're, you know, we, we all have pressure on us now. It, 14.6 PSI, I believe it is. But the pressure is the same inside as outside. So we don't feel it. We don't think about it. But as soon as you dive into water and you go down, you start to feel that pressure change in your ears, right? And as you go down, every 33 feet down, 
equals another atmosphere of pressure, another 14.6 pounds. So at 33 feet, the water exerts twice as much pressure as the air does on me at surface level. At 66, it's another time. And at 99, what would happen if that fish dives is the eardrums would burst. It's extremely painful. Divers talk about the bends. It can kill you if you change, if you come up too fast, it can kill you. Jonah isn't having, Jonah's rescued from drowning. But it's not a walk in the park. You know, I expect, I don't know if Jonah even knew he was right away that he was inside an animal. I don't know what he knew. Did he see the fish coming to swallow him? I don't know. But I don't think being inside the fish, he was rescued from immediate drowning, but short of an act of God's mercy, he was doomed there. God is reminding Jonah that Jonah is not as self-sufficient as he thought, and he's not as righteous as he thought. Jonah finally realized that unless God has mercy on him, he's headed for an eternity of separation from God. And Jonah realized he didn't want to be separated from God. And so he turns to the God he's been running from. He cries out to the God he wanted to avoid and disobeyed. Whenever we doubt God's word, it puts us on a slippery path down and away from God. If I doubt that God sent a great fish to swallow Jonah and that he kept him alive three days and three nights inside the fish, I will also question whether God could make the world in six days by a spoken word. And I will also, ultimately I will question I continue on that path, whether Jesus actually died and rose again after three days, purchase my salvation. That's the slippery slope we're on when we don't believe God's word. When we start doubting God's word, I'm on a dangerous slope. <clears throat> In short, I won't trust God. I don't believe his word. I have to turn to Hebrews chapter 3. To think of these verses in Hebrews chapter 3, <clears throat> verses 12 and 13. The writer of Hebrews is warning against the danger of hardening our hearts. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. It doesn't look that bad. It can sound pretty good. 
but it's deceitful. And we're to be careful, we're warned to be careful that we don't have an evil heart of unbelief. In the next few verses, the Hebrew writer tells us that an entire generation of Israelites, except for Joshua and Caleb, could not enter the promised land because of their unbelief. I had to ask myself, in, in thinking about that, in thinking about Jonah being swallowed by a great fish, carried through the water, and and again, showing God's sovereignty where when God spoke to the fish, the fish vomits him out. Not in the water where he drowns, but the fish vomits him out on land. What an amazing God. God gave Jonah a chance to obey him again. In Hebrews chapter, I'm sorry, I read Hebrews 3. I had to ask myself in thinking about that, do I believe that God provided a great fish to swallow Jonah? Do I believe that God's word is living? It's powerful? It's sharper than any two-edged sword? If so, it will be important to me to read that, to ask God what he wants to say to me. Do I believe that God's word is truth? Would you stand, please? I'd like to close with 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Lord, thank you for your word that you have given to us. If you have preserved it, it's been passed down through it, to us through the generations. Lord, we, I pray that we would truly value your written word that we would seek you in your word and through the direction of your Holy Spirit. That we would grow and mature and not be infants, but be mature believers. Honor you. That you will be lifted up here in Catholic or wherever we live through our lives this week. We want you to be honored, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.